celiac disease affects approximately 1 in 70 Australians. However, around 80% of this number remain undiagnosed. This means the vast majority of Australians who have celiac disease don't even realise it yet. This stat helps to explain why the global gluten-free market is also expected to be worth almost $1 billion by 2023. And according to the 2019 Gluten-Free Beer Market Report, the global gluten-free beer market is estimated to compound annually at a growth rate of almost 15%. Today's guest is Richard Jafars, who's the founder of the first Australian brewery to contribute to these global trends. Two Bays Brewing Co., who produce gluten-free beer, also produce vegan and lactose-free beer, playing into niche markets where they have a really good chance of dominating. Welcome to Fractal Marketing. My name is Jared Doyle, and this is the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to grow their company through smarter marketing. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with marketing tips, strategies, and insights to enable you to grow your business. You'll hear from fellow entrepreneurs who share their learnings and insights onto how they're growing their business. You might be an accountant, a graphic designer, recruiter, or you might even own a craft brewery. But if you're the best kept secret in your industry, then your business is just not going to grow. Right, let's get into the episode and chat to Richard. Richard, welcome to the episode. Thanks for having me, Jared. Looking forward to it. Of course. Well, when someone, when I get the opportunity to speak to someone about beer, it's not like it's really easy to say no to it. So I was like, yep, let's talk about beer for 25 minutes and link that to marketing. So I'm going to enjoy this. But before we get into it, it makes sense for you to tell everyone who's listening what Two Bays is all about. Sure. So we're a gluten-free craft brewery. So we basically have set up a niche, which is really because I had a need. And so from there, we were able to play in the craft beer space, which I used to love, and really try and bring that experience to a broader gluten-free community that had been missing out on the whole craft beer experience. Fantastic. So that's, you know, really clearly straight out of the bat there, you've gone and defined a really nice market. It's, you know, Beer drinkers who need who are who need to be gluten free because they're and it's celiac, isn't it? That's what we're. It's the yeah. So so it's actually really interesting because uh, celiac disease affects about one or two percent of the Australian population, but about mm-hmm. ten to twelve percent of the population actually avoid gluten. So there's the celiacs that have to. There's a group of uh, you know another group of sort of maybe two percent of the population that get you know medical benefits from avoiding gluten. And then there's probably six or seven or eight percent that actually choose to avoid gluten for whatever reason and for numerous benefits that they personally get, but it's not a medical condition that's driving it. And so it's a, it's a significant market, and people are coming to that for different reasons. So, but celiac okay. is is obviously the the real niche. Yeah. And how did you get into it? What's your sort of origin story of how you decided this was the niche that you wanted to get into? So I think uh, for me, really, I've run businesses and been involved in the business side of things all my life, but nothing to do with beer. I've uh, owned a bulky goods retail business, but I've worked in the large corporates doing sales, business development, leading big teams in environmental games. So nothing to do with beer. And and effectively, you know, I kind of fell into it in, in that looking, I think most entrepreneurs are always looking for a good idea. And I probably spent you know, 15, 20 years, keep thinking and throwing around ideas and most of them get thrown into the scrap heap. 
And then about five years ago, I got diagnosed as a celiac, missed out on the whole craft beer experience. I got, I guess, pretty frustrated with my choices. I love wine and, and spirits, which are all available to me. But, you know, I just really loved the whole atmosphere of a brewery, the sharing of beer with friends. And so to a certain extent, it sort of came to me. And then I thought, well, let's see if there's a market here to actually do something with gluten-free craft beer. And that started me down the journey. So really, I come at it from a business perspective with a strong business development background but you know i'm now learning the beer game and i'm lucky my brother owns a craft brewery in melbourne has been involved in the craft beer game and he introduced me to the whole craft beer industry many years ago and so i probably had five years of craft beer but what i call barley beer and now i've had three years of cider and everything else and and now a couple of years of gluten-free craft beer so it's been a great journey over the last little while Great. And just for absolute clarity, the, the, the issue is that if you're celiac and you want to have a beer, the problem is that beer has gluten in it. And I mean, as someone who doesn't have to worry about it, I don't, I don't pay attention to labels, but that's the crux of the issue. And so yeah. if you're celiac or you're trying to cut down gluten, the reality is you go out to a pub with mates and you can't have a beer because it's got gluten in it. Absolutely. So gluten is in barley, wheat, rye and oats, which are all barley is the predominant ingredient, but all the other ingredients are used in beer making. And the brewing process does remove some of the gluten, but it's there. So yeah, if you want to go to the pub, you're drinking cider, you know, or wine or spirits. You know, it's just not the same sitting at the bar and you're drinking the cider while everyone else is drinking beer. For me, anyway, you, you feel different. And unless you love cider and don't like beer, which I don't, you know, you, you I kind of you want to fit in with everybody else. So that, that's really been the crux of it is, you know, just want to be inclusive. Right. So, okay, so you've got to go around solving the problem. Did you have to solve the problem and work out what ingredients you could use now to make gluten-free beer? Or was this something that had been done by somebody else and you just sort of needed to really bring it to market? Or what, what did you sort of, what was that mission there you had to get through? Uh, yeah. So for me, firstly, I just wanted to find out how big the market was. So I met with some of the large retailers in Australia and got a rough idea of market size and did as much Googling and searching as I could. And then the next thing is, can you make good gluten-free beer? So for me, I then went to the American Beer Awards and looked up all the gold medal winning breweries in the gluten-free category and then sacrificed myself, got on a plane, went all the way to the US and did a a brewery crawl, uh, just gluten-free style from Portland over to Montreal. And I visited, I think they had eight eight dedicated gluten-free breweries. So the, the whole space is a little clouded, but these were dedicated breweries got to try their beers, which were fabulous. They had taproom experiences, which was what I was looking for as well. And then I got to meet their uh, ingredient suppliers and, and what ingredients they were using. And, and each, across the US, they used different ingredients, decided which ones I thought made the best beer, which in our case is millet, buckwheat and rice. Um, so millet's budgerigar seed, effectively. I was going to ask you what that and, was. And, but, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really nice. So we then negotiated the exclusive rights to import millet, buckwheat and rice from these gluten-free malt houses in the US and bring them in by the container load. So we've got, I think it's 11 or 12 different millet malts, one buckwheat and about six or seven different rice malts that we can use to make the beers that we have at the taproom and in, in package. So, And all those malt styles. So to make beer, you need a malt or works better with a malt, a malted grain. And so for us to be able to have access to those has allowed us to really play around with flavours and do any beer style that they do in the barley beer world, we can do in the gluten-free beer world. Right. So just back on that, you know, that trip to the US. So in Australia, were, 
Was anybody else brewing gluten-free beer or was it something that a few American breweries, I mean, bigger market, right, like 10 times the size of Australia, was it that these breweries existed in America and didn't exist in Australia? Is that why you went over there? No, so there is a brewery in Australia that had been around. And I would think, I haven't checked all the provenance, but I reckon it would be almost one of the oldest in the world. Mm-hmm. And they really had the gluten-free beer market captured, but it meant that if you went out anywhere, you had one beer to choose from and – it wasn't a particularly craft style and, and it didn't have some of the excitement that the craft beer industry was offering me prior. Mm-hmm. And it was, but it was available at Dan Murphy's and the BWS's and Liquorlands. But that was one choice. There was a much smaller beer, gluten free beer as well, but that was, that was pretty hard to find. So that was kind of, kind of it. So there was really one player, you know, and again, from a, a marketing and commercial perspective, you've got a large, potentially a large market if you can get to them all and convince them to drink beer. And there was one incumbent. Since we opened, Han have produced a gluten-free beer. They've come in at a very cheap price point and, you know, it's not a craft beer style, but it does appeal to you know, a range of consumers that are happy just to drink kind of beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so, look, I always find the path to market interesting because, to me, you're kind of confronted with a decision to make. There's two paths or potentially go down both of them. One is, as you said, you know, distribution through, you know, so BWS, Liquorland, you know, Dan Murphy's, these are huge outlets, huge reach. You know, do you did you go out and sort of focus on those guys and say, hey, if I can get in there, you know, people will spot it and we'll go? Or did you try to drive demand through, you know, a gluten-free community and, and celiac societies and try to drive demand up and then? into the market that way? Or did you sort of strike from both sides at the same time in a pincer move? I think we struck from both sides. So we launched our packaged beer on the 20th of December, 2018. Um, so right before Christmas. And we sold 183 cartons in 24 hours, which is a fantastic result. And that was to beer everywhere in Australia. So we kind of knew that Australia was our, our market and that we needed and wanted to get our beers out everywhere. But for us, it was, you know, how do we get that reach? We were, so we really took down a path, you know, for probably for four or five months, we were struggling to get enough volume to be offered to anybody. So I think after four months, we had 30 wholesale accounts and the tap room and then quite a bit of direct selling um, on, our, on our website, through our website. Then we approached Dan's and they said yes. So that you, you sort of approach them in March and you roll out in August. So, you know, we had a bit of a bit of time to try and work out some of our production issues to, to meet their target. You say that like it's a, a fait accompli, like, you know, we approached Dan Murphy's, they said yes. Whereas, uh, you know, knowing Coles and Woolies groups and having worked with companies that try to get in there, that's not the way it typically works. You know, someone goes, I've got a product and it's like, okay, well, put a, you know, submission in, go to a panel, get some tests, do it. I mean, was it as easy as you just kind of flippantly made it or was it a case that they instantly recognized there was demand for this product? It was, you know, touch wood. I mean, obviously getting on the shelf is one thing, getting off the shelf is, is you know, the important thing to stay there. But they knew there was a, a need and they knew they wanted a bit of variety and it was, dare I say, that easy. You know, we met with uh, Metcash as well, straight away in with them. But, you know, they they're, you know, they work differently. So Metcash, you can put it into their warehouse, but nobody takes it out of their warehouse, whereas Dan's obviously decides what shelves to put it on and they, they buy into their DC, but... They, they dictate to stores what to do. And then since then, we've managed to get into a, a very f- small number of BWS stores that we're hoping to continue to grow uh, as a bit of a trial. And then the Coles Group came on board through vintage sellers in uh, Victoria and Queensland and Liquorland 
in Victoria for some of their stores in Victoria. So we, we sort of started with everybody. Now it's really 2020 is all about trying to grow our distribution with those guys because between Coles and Woolworths, they control sort of 75% of the take-home drink market. So, you know, if you're going to be, I mean, and that's the difference between us and say the US in that we can, if you can get in with those guys and you've got a good product and it goes off the shelf, then you can get scale quickly. On the flip side though, if you don't, then you don't get scale quickly and, and you can, you just go through the independence. So we're in, yeah. you know, about 750. So some, from April to December, we got to about 750 locations around Australia. So anywhere from Port Douglas, Hobart and Perth. And probably of those, I'd say 250 are probably, well, probably 200 of them are the, the big guys and the other 550 are independents. And so we've really wanted to make sure we try and do both strategies and also strategy of take home plus, you know, because I love to go out and have a beer somewhere. So a lot of our strategy is about also putting it into venues and things as well to make sure that if gluten-free people do go out, they can have a beer with their friends. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's that discovery moment, right? Isn't it? You sort of out, and then it's like if you know if you can get the little GF written, because that's the great thing about a restaurant menu. You know, you can look down it. You can go oh, vegetarian. You can go vegan. You can whatever it happens to be, but you can get the little GFs. And and again, you know, lucky me in my life, I don't have to consider you know gluten free, but it's there. But if I was to if I was gluten free, and I was sort of looking down the the menu, and all of a sudden I see the little GF label next to a beer and that's an option i'm going to go at it like a laser and then you get that amazing moment so almost like the independent restaurants it's not about you know the the marginal dollar you might make for selling an extra beer or two it's that one experience and they go that was a good beer they go you know i'm going to buy a carton next time i go into to first choice so I'm, i'm wondering like is that the way it rolls out or is it also you know i mean it's also unit sales as well i guess you know you want people to try your beer so venues give people that opportunity to try it when they're out there but we're finding you know it's got it's got had different take up and it's really quite interesting so bray restaurant which is recently voted number one restaurant in australia they offer our beer as the beer to everybody who buys their drink uh, matching drink package so if you go in there and buy a matching drink package and you pay quite a lot of money for it i can assure you you get a two bays pale ale or xba partly because they want it to be interesting for their customers. So here's a beer made out of alternative grains. They clearly think and are happy that the quality of the beer is such that they're going to not do any brand reputation to their restaurant. And for us, that's really exciting is that you're getting that sort of accolade from, you know, a fantastic sommelier and a fantastic restaurateur and chef that your beer is good. So we do it for those guys. Then there's others. And and we basically say gluten-free people often dictate where you're going out. So if somebody says to me, you know, we were in, in Tasmania recently with a bunch of friends and they said, let's go to uh, the James Bogue bar. And I went, well, what am I going to do? And I said, well, I know our beers at this pub here. So we took 10 people and we went to the, to the pub where our beer were and spent the afternoon. I was drinking beer, they were drinking beer, and it was fantastic. Was that Hobart, was it? In Launceston. But our beer is the same thing oh, in right. Hobart. So, But that is that is what a gluten-free person will do. So... And generally, people are happy to go because they know that everybody, the, the food's safe for that person and, you know, they can, they can enjoy themselves as much as everybody else. You know, that, that's kind of the beauty of why venues should have a gluten-free beer offer is because it, it doesn't, it, it makes their location attractive for gluten-free people to bring their friends. I, I like that. It's the same way that you would, 
you sort of do, like we spoke before, it could be vegan friendly. It doesn't have to be an exclusive vegan restaurant. It's to be vegan friendly or vegetarian friendly or child friendly. You know, I mean, yep, yep. you know, I'm a little bit beyond those, but I remember when my daughter was born and she was like one of the, you know, you get a group of friends and we've got one of the first kids. And then everywhere you go, you say, oh, just, if we're out for lunch, it just needs to be kid friendly. And so yep. all of a sudden the one couple that have got the kid, dictate and they go actually let's go here because they you know they are kid friendly so yeah i like i like that approach but there's something you said before that i'm really keen to explore and this is this idea of sort of niching down in a market and winning it and then and then growing up and and that basic logic is to say hey let's win a gluten-free market but then let's explode beyond that and actually be a beer of choice regardless of the content so you spoke there about you know bray and a beer being chosen because it was different and it's unique and in, in its own right is that you know, because I mean, you can win a market and you might be, you know, the gluten-free beer of choice and that's great. But is your super expansion strategy to be the beer of choice, irrespective of the gluten content or not? So would that represent success for you where someone says, hey, I just choose to drink your beer. The fact that it's gluten-free is neither here nor there. I love it. We, we get people that, that absolutely post that to us and I love it, but I, I don't expect it. I mean, I kind of expect that a, a normal barley beer drinker might try our beer out of interest at a venue or maybe pull it off a, a single can off the shelf at a bottle shop. I don't really think they're going to buy four packs and cartons of our beer. I think that will be the gluten-free consumer will, will do that. And the way I look at it too is there's 650 or 700 probably now craft breweries fighting for that market along with the big guys. There's plenty of gluten-free people that choose or have to be gluten-free and, you know, we really want to be, you know, a dominant player in helping to grow that category. So, I mean, one of my challenges is with the retail channel is, you know, instead of substituting somebody else's gluten-free beer and putting mine in the fridge is we actually grow the category and that the consumer gets choice at bottle shops and, and venues. So, you know, we know of restaurants that have converted their kitchen to almost 100%, if not 100% gluten-free food, and their business has boomed because they provided mm. that choice and then they then provide choice with beer. So they might provide the incumbents beer, they might provide our beer and they might provide the Han product. And that way consumers have choice. They've got different price points, different flavors, all those sort of things. You know, to me, that's success. You know, I hate it. And at the moment it is a bit of, you know, take that one off, put your one in. For me, you know, that's not success because we're not really growing the category and that's our challenge is to grow the category because if we all if we grow the category that everybody's successful and we know in food the category the food category whether it's at, at venues at restaurants or whether it's at um, grocery stores is growing enormously and so I'd like to see that happen in the beer game and then I think then you know that's a successful industry there's more choice consumers then can can come back to beer as we call it because a lot of people think, well, I'm gluten-free or I choose to be gluten-free, that means I can't have beer. So, you know, we've got to convince them that you actually do have a choice of beer. There is a gluten-free beers available. So, you know, it's it's it's, it's nice to have a niche and you do have a, a market. And for us, we're trying to stay very defined to market to that consumer. It's quite easy to find celiacs within social media and, and being able to promote and they promote for us within that, that channel. It's probably the lifestyle gluten-free consumer that's harder to pinpoint and that's sort of where we're from a marketing perspective looking to see how do we make those people aware that you know they've chosen to be gluten-free and I always say that means they've chosen to pay three times as much for their bread so you know from an affluence <laughs> perspective they're, they're not price sensitive 
And, you know, so, so they're a, a great consumer if we can make them aware that just because they've chosen to go gluten-free doesn't mean they have to give up on beer if that was their drink of choice. And that's the fun challenge. And that's kind of our 2020 challenge that we see going forward. Yeah. So I guess, you know, so your marketing strategy, obviously we've, we spoke about, you know, distribution, but there's a real challenge for you, which is to get your brand out there, the awareness out there, which means it can sort of drive demand and questions. And, you know, I guess, you know, your ideal situation, there's, there's two, two games you want to win. One, you want to be when people walking in to a bottle shop, they look across and go, oh, yeah, that's the beer I want. That's, you know, two bays. So I picked yep. that one. You know, it's that it's that move your hand just three inches to the right and grab the right pack. That's a key. And I guess the other key is, is people going in there and actually asking, do you have yes. two bays? And yeah. that's that's got to be the real pull, right? So all of a sudden, you know, even the there's only so long in a bottle shop, you're going to keep saying, oh, no, we don't stock that. No, we don't stock that before you kind of ring up head office and go, why don't we stock two bays? So I get, is that your marketing strategy to sort of influence people at those two points? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Nirvana for us is somebody going in, someone saying, can I have a two bays parallel or an XPA or an IPA or whatever. And that's starting to happen. We went to, I was dropping off some beers at a local place and they said consumers are coming in and asking for two bays. So, you know, but we're still only one we've only been really going for a year. So, you know, we have high expectations, but, you know, at the same time, I kind of go, you know, it's only a year in. This is a, it's a journey, you know, but for us, yeah, we want people to, what we kind of say is demand your right to beer. So actually get venues to actually put a beer for you to choose. So have, have that first and foremost. And some venues will put it into their bottle shop, but they won't put it into the corresponding bar that's part of the complex. You kind of go, well, you know, people are coming in to eat your food. Why won't you give them a beer choice inside? And when they do that, they realize they actually sell quite a lot of volume over the bar because people have one or two beers with dinner and then they might go and get a takeaway packet. So, you know, that that's part of the challenge. But, but for us, it's all about, you know, somebody saying, A, I recognize that I can have a beer. Um, and we talk about, you know, if you just because you're avoiding gluten, no need to avoid beer. Those sort of things that, that we're trying to get out there. So you can have a beer and then preferably you ask for a two-base. In fact, preferably ask for a two-base pale ale or IPA or XBA and then you're really sort of emotionally attached to the brand as well. What's your marketing strategy to influence these people? So the, the gluten-free community or the celiac community, what's, what's been your paths to market to get them aware of your, of your beer products? So we're sort of tackling it again a few different ways. One is, is through social media. So obviously social media for a startup business is a very cost-effective way of making noise we can target we know on facebook there's a certain number of people that are searching gluten-free it's quite a big number so you know we can target those people through ad campaigns so that's one thing we then through gluten-free events so gluten-free expos or whatever we can actually do taste testing and and you know you get somewhere between four thousand in brisbane say or ten thousand in melbourne and sydney will turn up over two days and so you're getting a real you know committed wow. okay. uh, market so yeah. so so yeah it, it's bigger than you think and that's mm. just through celiac australia and celiac australia as an industry body probably only has well uh, i would think they'd be lucky to have 10 percent of the celiac community actually be members so i mean it, it's it, it's a significant opportunity just just the celiac market alone if they drank a carton of our beer a month we'd be, be happy days so you know forgetting about all the rest of them so we do through those. And then we also go through beer events. So we find that, you know, we're quite active within the craft beer community. And for us, that's because we want to be included as part of the craft beer movement generally. And we like the people and they'd be very helpful. And we've got a lot of our beer at their 
venues and breweries around Australia as their gluten-free beer that they offer their customers. But we also recognise that people that follow the craft beer industry are often working in hospitality at venues and things around the country and they will go back to work and say, we need a gluten-free beer and we need a two-base gluten-free beer. So we, we try and you know, target it for people to ask us to put it on the shelf and we probably get you know, 10, 12 inquiries every week for people just to, just coming to us saying, we've read about you, we've seen a podcast, we've seen a news article, we've seen your Facebook ads or whatever. So we try to do it from two ways. One is to convince them to put them on the shelf and then obviously from a consumer perspective, try to hit as many of those uh, lifestyle gluten-free consumers and celiacs to make them aware that they can have a beer, they should ask for a beer, they should demand their right to a beer and not let the venue assume that if they're gluten-free, they're just going to drink the cider tap. And, you know, and that's, that's fun. I mean, you know, you're, you work in marketing, so, you know, it's, it's always a challenge of how to get that cut through, how to get relevance, how to talk to that consumer. But that's kind of what we're working on. And we're just working with a guy now down here in Melbourne who's a very creative, right brain thinker to help us sort of come up with, you know, what's the big thing for 2020 that will, you know, elevate our brand. And we've now got our beer in those locations. We've got distribution sorted into every every capital city. So now it's about how do we just sort of grow and, and explode in each of those cities through some brilliant creative idea that I don't have. So, <laughs> Well, I like the idea of a call to arms, like demand your right to beer. I think um, something like that you know, creates that movement. You sort of go, yeah, I yeah. can, you know, I've got a right too. So I want to explore maybe a slightly negative vision of the future, but I was at a first choice recently. I was trying to remember the name of a Chardonnay that I'd had. And I said, oh, I'm pretty sure it's a, a first choice. Like it's a, you know, it's an owned brand. So that might narrow it down. And the guy looked at me and said, you see all these labels? I think he said, if it's got the letter W at the end or whatever it is, that's a, like a Coles owned brand. And I looked across and it was like, oh, it's like two out of three shells they seem to own. It was all their own private labels where they'd bought things. And then I was thinking about the beers and I'm thinking about the way they brought out buying up craft labels or brands and producing their own. So what am I getting at here is, you know, we were talking before about growing, you know, gluten-free craft beer to a significant size, grow the size of the market. But there's always that risk that you're going to feed the beast. And then at some point, the coals of all these giants will turn around and go, now we've produced a new Lorry Boys branded craft beer that's also gluten-free. And, you know, and they'll own the supply chain end to end with the margin. So what's the risk there? Does it happen? Because I'm going to assume it does happen and it's difficult. Do you think about it? How are you going to counter it? Do you support it? Do you supply them? I mean, what, what's, or, or am I way off? Does this not happen and you just go, no, nah, it's not going to happen to me, Jared? I think you're a niche product within those guys. So they've got to decide, yeah, you know, are you doing enough volume to justify them making that investment? And it's probably okay if you're a craft beer brand and they want to put out a 1099 four pack or whatever, 690, you know, 1099 six pack of beer with a nice looking craft label on it, but really it's it's not really a craft beer. And that's effective. I, I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting to see, obviously they're not going to share the data, but how, how much in the, in the barley beer world those labels are selling compared to, you know, the craft beer independently owned labels or the craft beer owned by the big guys. And, you know, certainly they'll have a, a market share, just don't know how big it is. So you're then kind of talking, well, you've got the gluten-free, then you've got to create a niche within the gluten-free. Would they do it? Possibly. Then their challenge is they've got to get the ingredients and nobody malts gluten-free grains in Australia, so we import from the US. You can use what they call an extract, which is um, like a liquid, which is available, but then you've got to brew it in a brewery that 
is prepared to clean itself to the level to ensure that they're not going to contaminate that beer with any of the barley dust or whatever else is floating around that brewery. So, you know, we're a 100% dedicated brewery. Uh, no barley comes in, no no gluten, it's sort of a no gluten allowed setup. So if you then go to a contract brewer, which is what these big guys are doing, and say, hey, brew me a gluten-free beer, then that contract brewer has got to make sure that throughout the whole manufacturing process, they are doing everything to avoid gluten and testing the beer at the end to ensure that, there's no possibility that that beer has got any any gluten in it because for a celiac, it's a very small amount that can cause quite violent reactions. So it's it's a possibility. Yeah. No, I can hear you. It's, it's, it's a fantastic barrier to entry. Yeah. So one of the key things for us was having that exclusivity on, on the malt because, you know, we do offer it to home brewers, we do offer it to other brewers if they want to, but then when they realise the price of our malt compared to barley, they kind of go, then we talk about how they've got to clean their mill, which you can't do. So how are you going to mill that barley to brew with it? How are you going to clean your your tanks? All those sort of things. And I say, well, why don't you just buy my beer? Put a a slab of beer in the fridge. Say you've offered a gluten-free beer, you can put, you know, two of our beers in there and you're giving people variety, you're still making a good margin on the beer and you don't have to worry about anything. It's Celiac Australia endorsed. It's 100% gluten-free in a dedicated brewery. And that seems to resonate. So nobody's come out with a gluten-free beer since I've started, apart from Han. They have come out, some are coming out with what we call gluten-reduced or low-gluten beers, but whether they're getting much traction on the back of that, I'm not sure. It kind of feels a little bit. I mean, yeah. You, if, you, if you're celiac, gluten reduced isn't really like a recipe. It's kind no, of like no. So they're targeting the lifestyle gluten people right. with those beers, okay. and, you know, which is an important market. But mm. you know, for them, it's and what we've seen overseas is a lot of breweries have done these gluten reduced beers, and then they've stopped doing them because it's just a distraction and it takes away their brewing capacity. You know, it, because it's just difficult and and expensive if they're going to test each batch, which I'm not sure everybody does in Australia, but, you know, they test each batch, then it becomes a very expensive process as well. So we try and convince them just, hey, put our beers in and and seems to work well. Yeah. So last question from me, and you just mentioned there about celiac endorsed, you know, do you put that label on there? Is that an important part of the selling process to be endorsed by the Celiac Australia Society, whatever it was called? And and subsequent to that, I've noticed that, yeah, People love putting their gold medals, silver medals, best of, you know, show kind of awards on there. You know, is that a big part of a marketing strategy for a craft beer company? And can you guys do it? And if you can't, is that because there isn't currently a gluten-free beer category that you get to compete in? Uh, So, firstly, the Celac Australian endorsement, yeah, we think that's very important. It gives the consumer comfort. And it actually, a lot of bottle shops and venues are very you know, they become very relaxed when they realize that it's actually a certified product. So we wear that proudly. We also wear our Independent Brewers Association, Independent Beer, proudly as well. We're proud to be an independent brewery. From an awards perspective, uh, we enter our beers. So last year we entered our beers into the Australian International Beer Awards and also the Independent Brewers Association Awards. There is gluten-free category, but it's covered with a number of other different beer styles. So it's not a not 100% standalone category but it is growing so this year they actually just put out the um, categories for the Australian International Beer Awards and they've split gluten-free still with a number of other beers but they've dropped what used to be called specialty beers and they've sort of split that group into two so there's less in our category but the way they do beers is is your beer is measured on its own so you can be a gold medal beer in in gluten-free 
And so last year at the Independence, we've got, I think we got one silver and three bronze for the beers that we put in. And they're not, unlike other awards, they're not sort of first, second, third best. It's basically you've got to meet a certain criteria to get bronze and then be better to get silver. And then if you get gold, then you're sort of doing pretty much everything right in the brewing process. So we were pretty happy with that as our first go round. Uh, sorry, so, so you can have multiple gold medal winners in a category. Absolutely. It yeah, doesn't mean absolutely. you can. Have- do you know, it, as a consumer, I just assume that meant you won because it's like the Olympics. You get the gold medal, you won. I didn't realise you could have five winners and six second places or six silver medals. Well, what it does for a consumer is it says that beer is a certain quality. Yeah, okay. And there can be 10 beers with that same quality. So if you go to you know the beer awards and you see the Australian pale ales, there could be 25, 30 beers that have got gold medals because they're all of a sufficient quality of beer to, to rate that. I don't know if that's the same in the wine game, but certainly it is in beer. So, so, so certainly, yes, you can do that. We, there's some things like Untapped, which is a sort of a beer rating service where consumers will get online and, and um, rate beers and yep. let people know what they think of them and that sort of thing. We're the number one with our IPA is the number one gluten-free beer in Australia. Uh, Pale Ale is the number two. So we certainly use that in our marketing, absolutely. Certainly letting venues know that we're, you know, cons- the consumers have chosen us number one and two out of out of the beer choices, but you know that's good marketing. It's um, you know, it's, it's uh, what we're able to do to differentiate ourselves is trying to be the number one craft brewery, gluten free brewery in Australia. So, like everything, you use it as it's appropriate. Yeah. No, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And look, and I think for everyone who listens to this, the big takeaways for me is about, you know, knowing your niche, knowing exactly why you exist and just absolutely owning that market and and realizing that, you know, dominating one market and being the winner in one market gives you a disproportionate slice. You know, there's no point just being another craft beer on the shelf because you'll take a very small percentage of a big market and you can convince yourself that it's, you know, it's a much bigger market. I'll take a small slice and I'll do better. But look, I love your strategy of being the biggest and the best at in a niche because I think you'll do much better overall. So, you know, from, from a marketing point of view, I just think you guys have got it absolutely nailed. I can assure you, Joe, we get suckered constantly of, you know, you know, there's a beer event going on up in country Victoria this weekend. The guy goes, do you want to come along and be the gluten? And we kind of go, well, it doesn't, you know, we go back to our strategy of saying that's not our consumer. Yes, it'd be lovely to go in there and get some pats in the back and people try our beer, but they're not going to go and buy it in a four pack generally so it's not worth us spending the time on it so but we have that constantly we always get tempted and we kind of go i'd love to do it it's not part of you know let's go back to we we call it fish where the fish are and we just try and keep bringing ourselves back to because it is very easy as all entrepreneurs will i'm sure tell you that somebody dangles something and you kind of go yeah that sounds pretty cool but it's not we just say are our customers there no they're not going to that event so let's not be there Sounds good. Sound advice. So, Richard, if people want to um, follow you on social media, support you, uh, where do they do that? And where's the – I think we've covered the best places to go buy the beer, but maybe you can remind everyone again the best place to go buy the beer. Maybe it's directly from you guys and that cut out the middleman completely. No, no, no. We're, we're happy. We, we want people to support their, their local bottle shops as well. So we have some beers that you can only buy through us. But for us, really, it's www.twobays.beer. So it's a pretty cool handle. We're on Instagram and Facebook, and we have a bit of fun there. We have a tap room down in Germana, so if you are in Victoria, we've got nine gluten-free beers on tap, gluten-free wood-fired pizzas, and really try to do that weekend craft beer experience. 
and then our beers are everywhere. So on, on our website, you'll find a beer finder and we try and keep that as up to date as possible. So Jared, wherever you are in, in uh, Brisbane, you'll be able to go out and I'm sure not too far from you, you'll be able to pick up a gluten-free beer, uh, two bays one, and uh, give it a try. Tell me what you think. I'll, I'll do that. But what I'll do is before I get there, I'll go to the independent around the corner and ask for it when they don't have it and then go, oh, and walk straight back out the door. So well, we'll, we'll, you'll get up. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll talk offline and find out what that one is and then I'll go and make sure they've got it for you. <laughs> and we'll just, oh, that's guerrilla marketing there, right? We're just sending groups of people around wandering in, asking for the beers over the course of a week. And then you just randomly call up and do a, a BD call. They go, do you know what? We've had a lot of people in here recently. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, we would never do that, but it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> Richard, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great talking with you. And I'm looking forward to sampling your product this weekend. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that'll really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.